So now it's we're still in the, you know within our time. We uh, got half a time into our program, so I still have some time for discussion. Uh, I'm just going to ask one question to all the speakers, uh, and then I will uh, open uh, the floor so you can participate. So first of all, for the renewable energy, um, in 2020, we'll see if now there will be a new directive. But if I read the judgment of Orland case and the Essen case, is that they are in fact in French of the treaty rules that um, national markets keep to have their support, uh, support schemes just for their operators. So um, do you think it's a good idea from 2020 we're going to open up markets and um, what do you expect of it? That's for the renewable energy people. Uh, and then also for the um, energy efficiency, what about the white certificate market? Um, are we, do you think after these revisions we see how complicated it is? Is that something, again, we should, the Commission should look at again, whether you should go in and have an obligation for all member states to introduce it? And uh, for CERN, I have this question about, um, what about, because I think it's very important when we discuss uh, policies that we also call a spade a spade. And um, gas is not yet under the discussion of decarbonization. But if gas gets greener, could we actually include it in the decarbonization and not just call it uh, a bridge fuel or something it's the, you know, the big elephant in the room that we can't actually place in policies. So these are my questions and um, please answer them shortly as you have given your presentation very short, which is very much appreciated. And I will open up the floor for discussion. Oh, me too. Yeah. Make a start. Um, good. So v very interesting questions um, you raise. And I, th I think in the EU climate policy, there, there are um, a number of fundamental flaws and, and you've mentioned one so so one one bigger issue I, I also see is first of all the the inconsistency between the European emission trading scheme and renewable support schemes even if we had uh, a common European renewable support scheme so the ETS signals us one price for the abatement of co2 which is currently very low it's somewhere between five and uh, seven euros per ton and if we look at the renewable support schemes, um, then the implied cost of abatement is, is very different. So it's different maybe by, let's say, a factor of 10. So there's, there's a very fundamental inconsistency here, and we could save a lot of money by making those two regimes more consistent. Uh, what it would mean is, is largely strengthening the EU ETS uh, in, in a way so that we actually get on the trajectory of um, CO2 abatement to reach the 2050 targets um, because the, the current abatement steps um, that we have, they're, they're not really in line with the 2050 targets. So that, that would be one thing, consistency between ETS and renewable support schemes. And the other one would then be, uh, as you suggest, an, an integration of the renewable um, support schemes, which technically is entirely feasible. Um, although it, it is going to raise two complications that we need to be aware of, um, uh, and both of those are political. Um, so the, the implication of an integrated European scheme is that the renewables wouldn't necessarily be built where they have been built historically. Um, so wind would largely be built in, in northwest Europe along coastlines and so on, and PV would, would tend to be built uh, more along the Mediterranean, uh, which raises two issues. A, um, consumers would have to pay and subsidize uh, renewable energies practically 
in other countries and the question is are we um, are we politically prepared for this I, I would personally be prepared for it but is the European constituency prepared for it and secondly um, it would result in uh, generation being distributed differently from how we currently expect it to be distributed which would mean that we will also need to strengthen the grid um, that would cost a bit, but overall we would have a cost savings because we have, would have renewables in better places. But it would also mean that we would have to put more wires through the country. And the experience is that there is a lot of po local political opposition to this. And we do need to raise the question whether it's then technically feasible to actually build all, uh, all the wires and cables to allow for this restructuring of the renewable landscape. Actually, uh, I would like to come back to the very first two presentations uh, where we were listening to assessment of the energy union. And actually, I think that there is a lot of good uh, stuff, even reinforcing or coming back to old ideas and indicating that they are still relevant and uh, that there is a political uh, statement uh, supporting them, for me it's fine. And m combining this with uh, uh, your question regarding renewables, uh, actually uh, if we Polish market is coupled with uh, Czech market or German market, we can uh, receive measurable benefits from this. Actually, the Polish energy system has major problems with load on summers because on winters we have a lot of uh, CHPs in the system. So although the total load is higher, also capacity available is much higher. So it's not a problem. And uh, recently, in recent years, the load uh, has been increasing each year uh, from uh, June to August. Uh, so, so the most critical events uh, in the system are uh, during these three days. And actually it coincides very well with supply from PV. And uh, during more or less the weather is similar in Poland and uh, German and Czech Republic. So. Uh, <coughs> during these days w where we suffer from a, a very high load, we uh, Czechs and Germans uh, do not know how to use this uh, solar electricity. So, so, so uh, just uh, uh, implementing the very basic idea of uh, using better existing interconnectors for commercial uh, exchange uh, would uh, really lower cost uh, to consumers and improve uh, security of um, uh, energy system, at least in Poland. So, so basically I, I see uh, a lot of room for improvement, but uh, I am very skeptic about a possibility of uh, financing uh, uh, development of renewables uh, from one uh, by consumers from one country to investors from another country. Thank you. On the question whether we are ripe for having uh, EU a wide uh, wide certificate scheme, 
Uh, I'm not sure I can give a positive answer. Well, the, 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 the EU itself in the latest directive, which uh, has only now started uh, being uh, uh, implemented, uh, answers this negatively. Um, well, member states are free to choose the, the mechanism, and it's true that, as you have seen, the, the French uh, uh, option is uh, quite a complex one, but it has the advantage of being as close to market as possible. At least the idea was uh, to create a mechanism which is market-driven and uh, which uh, implies the least... Uh, state intervention, so it's different from uh, directly subsidizing uh, um, companies, or in the case of consumers, obviously, there will not be state aid, but uh, uh, it is a mechanism that is supposed to to, um, to make the state uh, participate less, so spend less uh, tax money on, on those actions, and actually incentivize market operators to under the threat of uh, of a huge fine of course but uh, to incentivize them to um, generate this uh, energy saving behavior and so uh, i i've did a little research to see how many member states uh, have a similar mechanism and it's really not much uh, in the eu as far as i know well i think you mentioned poland uh, has this system of uh, of white certificates, uh, I understand that Belgium as well has a has a similar system. Uh, Denmark maybe uh, as well, and then the UK has a different um, system, and that's uh, more or less uh, all of uh, uh, those similar to to white certificate me mechanisms. So uh, I think. No, we are not yet ripe for, for white certificates all over Europe. There are other means of uh, promoting energy efficiency, but this system is uh, um, market-driven, and so uh, I would think it's uh, probably a, a better solution than, than direct subsidies, at least from a state aid law perspective. Yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I agree. And uh, of course, what is clear that the, uh, the the policy in renewable energy uh, sector should provide a stable and, and a clear environment for uh, in investment. And of course, it should avoid uh, uh, this economic bubble. And of course, uh, uh, so the uh, mechanism that are related directly to the market, that like auction, uh, uh, yeah, uh, could be the best uh, the best solution, uh, even in a general uh, European. Uh, uh, framework. At the end of the day, I think uh, that uh, probably uh, the the renewable energy are uh, the best case to um, uh, to set policy at the European level, considering that uh, uh, we should uh, exploit the difference, the climate difference in uh, in the world, Europe, and the uh, distribution of the source. But of course, it is. Uh, a linked and effective implementation of this uh, approach. It's directly linked to another uh, hot topic that is uh, infrastructure and uh, 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 interconnection and smart grid, of course, because we are speaking about a, 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 um, a, a, um, uh, interconnection able to uh, uh, to 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 uh, immediately set the, the level of the market and of course uh, uh, production. Uh, but I, I think that uh, to invest in this uh, uh, policy and to invest in these uh, 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 networks could be a good strategic investment in the current uh, uh, scenario. And even because it could be uh, really useful to uh, in the framework of the 
uh, uh, policy uh, to sustain the uh, the growth of the the Europe. So it could be a, a very uh, a good uh, um, uh, uh, project at the European level to uh, implement. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I think I. I see two trends that are totally inevitable. Uh, I think, of course, we go from national to European, from European to global. We can discuss the pace, we can discuss whether it will be the energy union that does the trick this time, or it's the fourth or the fifth or sixth or seventh energy package, or whatever, or it's uh, some other global trend, but we are on a slide and we become more and more European and more and more global. It's it's unavoidable. So the question is not whether, but whether we want to take leadership in that. Uh, and that, that applies to politicians, it applies to education institutions, it applies to businesses like the gas business where I'm in. Um, and from my perspective, it's tough because my industry is uh, horribly conservative. Uh, and we still haven't understood in my industry uh, the other trend that I base my analysis in. And that is that shift from fossil to renewable is inevitable. I don't know whether we're 2050, as many politicians speak, or for 2100, or maybe it will be much faster because right now some kind of uh, ecological disaster is happening and the world wakes up. Uh, yeah, I, w I wish I would knew, but again, like with the with the European and the global trend, I can see the trend. Of course, we have to go to renewable. The consent of CO2 in the atmosphere is more than 50 percent higher than it was uh, at the beginning of the previous century. So it's it's obvious to me. It's there's there's no discussion in that. And then when I go back to my good old conservative gas industry, of course, I was a bit. I'm a bit sad when people say, "Well, we have a." a fabulous bridge fuel, because uh, I, I think gas, to, to me, gas is not something in the other ground. It's, it's methane. Uh, maybe you could also have some propane and ethane and other, other stuff, but, but we have a methane system, and gas is a fabulous appliance for, for many things. Uh, so, so I think the challenge is, how do we turn that gas green? And I, I think with electricity, we have seen a lot of uh, what is to do. Uh, develop this or that technology and electricity certificates as well. Uh, but I also, and this is perhaps more personal view, I, I also sometimes see what what, what I feel is, is, is a tremendous waste of money when we have some Centrum people picking a winner for an industry. And I think it's amazing because what I've made of all of us so rich is to have a market economy. Uh, so, so what is the challenge here? It is that we have a distorted market economy. There is, uh, there is something that's not paid for, and that's the pollution. So, how to put that into the to to to, to the calculation? Uh, and to me, certificates is pretty obvious there because you can start by just putting it up and making it well functioning. Then you can require that uh, more and more used. And if you're afraid of European companies not being able to compete global, then you can say, well, we only put requirements on consumers and government institutions and so on, and then they can start the market and hit a 100% target maybe in 2030 or whatever, and the industry can come along. So to, to me, it's just about going the direction we anyway have to go.
Are there any questions to these very good speakers? Yes? Hello, my name is Mats Lundin. I represent the U European Ukrainian Energy Agency. And I have a question about why we are not looking a little bit outside the European borders in order to find solution in terms of bringing the market into more renewable energy. If we, we are looking here at how we are trying to find this way or that way of promoting renewable energy. But if we just look into Turkey, in Turkey we can see that wind power is today one of the most competitive power sources and it's selling for roughly speaking $73 per megawatt hour at the same time as the UK is signing long-term PPAs for nuclear power at 120 pounds per megawatt hour. What is the sense about trying to legislate about everything when in fact we have an open market potential? Just let the renewable energy compete against these other old sources of electricity. Could we get some comments? Uh, that was a very good question, I think. Uh, anyone wants to... Maybe we can take the... Well, I, I went to Texas a few years, and it's the most liberal place I've ever been. You even have uh, competing electricity grids uh, in the streets. Uh, but even there you have windmills and there were no subsidies. So it's right that uh, you, you, you can have renewables grow everywhere. But, but I think uh, we, we have to think global, but we also t have to address the externalities. Because if you don't do anything to, for example, coal, it is by far giving more CO2 than any other fossil, actually double as much as natural gas. It creates NOx and a lot of other particles. Uh, actually, we have the leading industry in cleaning coal in Europe, uh, and we're exporting that to many countries outside of Europe, and uh, I think we should focus a lot of that because that really uh, do, do, do a lot of good. Uh, but I don't think we can just solve this by, by looking outside. We, we have to look inside and make some solutions that work and when we have something that really works and makes us both green and rich then we can uh, I guess better get the outside world went in on it but if we don't become rich on it we only become green and poor we cannot export it and if we only become rich uh, but remain fossil we cannot export it so so there's some uh, there's a tough job to be done <laughs> Yes, you, I also think you raised a, a very interesting question, and actually, you, um, I think you made two points. So one point is, is around which technologies do we actually support? So is it nuclear or is it, is it something else? And the other point is, do, do we only do it within the EU or, or do we look outside? Um, on, on your first point, um, I've, I don't want to comment on, on the nuclear, but I'd agree certainly it, it is very expensive. Um, I, I think for the time being, we, we just do need to acknowledge that um, on, on a par, um, renewable energies are currently um, more expensive than conventional energies um, and that is largely because they're intermittent and renewable energies always have to be combined with with something to match um, to to make them more um, reliable um, but I'd, I'd agree that that doesn't necessarily mean that one 
skips to um, then subsidizing another conventional technology. So in principle there, I agree with your point. The, your second point is interesting. Do we only ha find the solution in the e EU or do we look outside? And it, it comes back to the point I made earlier. Ultimately, we need to transport the energy to where it is consumed. Um, and obviously there, there are great solar places around the world. But the question is, how efficient and how costly is it to transport the electrical energy from there to where we need it in, in Europe? Um, and there, there can be a, a number of solutions. So either we build more lines, um, but then we might face local opposition. Or another solution might actually be that energy-intensive industry moves to where there's a lot of relatively cheap renewable energy. Um, so, for example, it moves to North Africa. That may be a solution. That is how over 2,000 years the economy has worked. Um, the, the energy hasn't traveled to, to the intensive consumers. The consumers have always traveled to where the energy is. That's where we erected the steel mills and so on. Um, but it does mean that we, we may need a, a, a new political, industrial political understanding and we may need to accept, for example, that very energy-intensive industries moves to where it's cheap to produce green energy and that may be outside the European Union. So that will be something we'll need to think about. I just want to open up for two or three questions more and then we have to go for lunch. So uh, are there any more questions? Okay. See the lady over there. Thank you very much for all the presenters. My name is Gabriela Crezzo. I'm dealing with renewable energy in the energy community. And um, I want to uh, highlight um, first the, the first point that uh, it was, uh, in fact, on the agenda, moving from... Uh, feed-in tariff support scheme to more market-based. And uh, we saw the presenters um, highlighting also the, the flows of the market-based support schemes, meaning that uh, a tender scheme uh, will uh, foreclose the market and will uh, somehow um, incentivize only big players, while uh, a green certificate scheme will not uh, provide the, the the same support or uh, or the same incentives to all technologies, favorizing uh, only the cheapest one. In the energy community, the country started to um, attract investment in renewable energy because they took also commitments, binding commitments to 2020. And the country is committed to binding targets. However, now we are in a position of uh, seeing the way forward they mostly uh, base their support scheme on feed-in tariff. How to move further in this region where they have a lot of uh, potential, not only in wind, solar, but also hydro and biomass as the main one. So how do you see a system where abundant, diverse um, renewable energy is uh, to be uh, developed um, in a most costly, effective way for, for customers. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm not addressing to anybody, but maybe there, there are some uh, speakers who can, who can answer this. Thank you. Are there any more questions? I think we just gather them. If not, I will leave the floor to the, the speakers. There's one more question that in the back. Uh, my question is to Severia. Um, 
how do you think uh, can the arbitrations against uh, the states uh, uh, with regard to feed-in tariffs cuts be efficient? I mean, will it make the states, you know, to go back and revisit the policy or not? Uh, is there any track record of completed arbitration so far? Because I think we are, we are taking Ukraine to another to arbitration soon uh, over the feed-in tariffs. So I would really like to hear your experience in a more global way, um, whether, whether there have been some good tra track records so far. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you. So uh, actually, it's very difficult to say how... Uh, the uh, arbitration can uh, push the government to review the uh, uh, the decision. I don't think it will happen. Uh, mm, from the uh, other experience, uh, uh, I can say there are some uh, arbitration uh, um, open under the um, FTA agreement uh, between the some um, United States company and the. Uh, Ontario uh, region, that, but actually, uh, still we have not hours uh, uh, about these uh, uh, um, questions. So uh, we are waiting actually the first uh, uh, answer from the uh, arbitration uh, tribunals. Uh, but I, I know, uh, considering the um, uh, Italian case, uh, uh, there is a, um, uh, the first case has been filed in, before the uh, uh, chamber, uh, uh, Stockholm Chamber of Commerce, uh, um, under the Energy uh, Treaty uh, Charter. Uh, um, that's then you know that the, 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 the very peculiar nature of the arbitration. Uh, uh, it's uh, how can I say? Uh, in somehow uh, hiding the uh, results of uh, the uh, our sense the uh, uh, proce procedure, but uh, uh, I already um, uh, underlined what's the uh, main point uh, of uh, uh, under discussion. Uh, I mean uh, that uh, the uh, uh, unreasonable and discriminatory effect of uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, Italian. Legislation. This was the main arguments of the uh, uh, claimants. Um, on the on the other question, the, the the next steps for renewable promotion. Um, I'll I'll try. Energy community. And the and in the energy um, community, yes. Um, so so I think one one challenge we we find in in all countries in Europe, um, I think, is that actually with renewable support we're we're trying to address two objectives, but we're only using one instrument. Um, and the experience is uh, and economics suggests that 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 is going to fail. So so what are the the two objectives? One objective is just to deliver volume of renewable energy. And the other objective is to bring along um, less mature technologies so that they can be the mass technologies in the future. But for both of those, we're using the same instrument. And, and from an economist perspective, that, that isn't really going to work. So the point really is um, if you have the objective of, of bringing on volume and you want it cheaply, then you need to focus on the cheapest technologies and then there are various support mechanisms that that can do that um, so it, it can be feed-in tariffs or it can be more competitive mechanisms like um, like a quota system as was used in Poland or it can be auctions if you additionally want to bring on other technologies which are more costly then it's 
good to have a separate regime. Um, and there's now a lot of literature that suggests actually there it's probably better to think about R&D support rather than to, to think about volume support for immature technologies. Um, certainly Germany has, has learned the hard way. So Germany has provided volume support to photovoltaics at a time when photovoltaics was not a mature technology. And it's going to cost Germany every single year, it's going to cost Germany 10 billion euros um, for the next 10, 15 years. So that wasn't a, a very wise move. Okay, then I'm going to round up and make it a very brief conclusion. First of all, thank you all for your presentations and thank you for your participation. I think uh, we have a great master plan. It's very ambitious, but we see they're very difficult. Which concrete steps are we going to take? And I also think this question, which I also say, it's about we are ambitious, but we should not be arrogant. We should listen to other people, how they develop their schemes in China, in the United States. And we can still have the ambitions to be the, the best of the world, but then maybe we should listen also to our competitors and learn from them. So thank you very much for today and uh, have a nice lunch. Mm -hmm.